And may that now extend to Holy Spirit leading this time. Uh, as I share a word uh, that I felt on my heart uh, for a couple of weeks, uh, or actually a few weeks. Um, and it stems back to, uh, I guess, a message that I heard recently, uh, which left me feeling uh, a little frustrated, to be honest. Um, I heard it, and it was all speaking about trying to gain the right perspective for the new year. And it was full of those self-help ideas on how you can gain that, on how you can figure it out, how you can kind of discover a vision and a perspective. Uh, and it left me asking the question, what is the vision and perspective that God wants me to have, that God actually wants us to have? I don't think there are question marks there, and I think there was just a lack of meat in the message. Because you know what? As and we all will, as we get to a tough time in 2024, there's no meat to hold on to when the how-to doesn't work. There's nothing to grab onto that will keep you going through all of that. Uh, without vision, what will move us to say things like King David did, where I will not give to God that which has cost me nothing? Interestingly, Andrew gave us the right perspective last week, didn't he? The right vision. So I'm thankful that God answers our questions. And he said, really, the vision that matters is God himself, is the vision. And what a good God he is. You know, his plan is for us to be so full of God, so full of the Spirit that he flows out of us. And it's the love of God that secures the vision, that helps us to keep holding on as God is the first reason and his love is why. Andrew went on to say that we work hard, but we don't carry the burden. I needed to hear those words myself. And I believe he also, well, he did also go on to say, if it's his purpose, his will, will be fulfilled because he will do it through you. And I believe an emphasis which leads to this message today is the if. The if. Because rightly, a next question to ask after we have had our vision firmly realigned on God alone is the to do what? Isn't it? That's a fair question. And as people who say that we are in Christ, one of the biggest, biggest questions that we have to answer is whose will, whose purpose will we follow in 2024? As we honestly reflect on this question, will our question be, what is my purpose for this year? Or what is God's purpose for this year? Because he definitely has a purpose for you. Ephesians 2 tells us that because of his great love for us, by his grace, we have been saved. And we, being God's handiwork, created in Jesus, have a purpose, have the good works that he has prepared for us in advance to do. We're going to return to this because this is really our core anchoring uh, reading for today. But here, just as faith concreting it is to see that our vision 
is God himself and that God is good. Know that we each have a purpose. That he has, there's intent there, prepared in advance for you to do. So are we confident that we know and are fulfilling God's purpose in our lives? Because if you're anything like me, in this sometimes chaotic and unsettling world, I wonder at times whether it's God's purpose unfolding in my life. So it's a good thing that he gave us his word. Because we can gain confidence, to be sure. And it's confidence based on something more than human self-help ideology. Because it's gained by the Holy Spirit, who works primarily, though not exclusively, through Scripture which he uses to enlighten our minds as he builds up our faith through hearing the word about Christ. Our vision needs to be God, full stop. And in this we know our God is good. And let me concrete that a little bit more for us. So this is the, there's a bit of a journey that we're going to take. Um, but the Bible shows us that he revealed himself good in his steadfast love and faithfulness to Abraham, establishing his descendants as the people of Israel and later delivering them from Egypt. God revealed himself good in person in the way he did to Moses on Mount Sinai as he passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God revealed himself good to the psalmists and others who affirmed this saying, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Even Luke declares, God alone is good. And he's a doctor. So he can't be lying about that, right? <laughs> and God continues to reveal himself good, doesn't he? within the lives of those who follow him. And we see him and experience his goodness in our daily lives. Our lives are a reflection of this simply in the fact that we are a testimony to his goodness and love because we have been saved by grace alone. God demonstrated and continually demonstrates his goodness and love most clearly in the gift of his son to be our savior. God is good. And overflowing from God's goodness is another faith-concreting fact. Our God is a purposeful, all-powerful creator. As we ask the question, what is my purpose? We can take heart in remembering our God is a God with purpose. This is clearly evident from the beginning. The first chapter of the Bible sets the stage. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, with his immense power and wisdom, creates the world in which he intends to work out his purpose. Right? Further hints of this emerge in the verses that follow in the completion of creation. But from that opening scene, I believe we can rightly conclude that such a God is also well able to fulfill his purpose. God himself assures us of this. 
where he says, I am God. There is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. This is one of several scriptures that tell us that this is so. And from them, we can be assured our God is purposeful and can accomplish his purpose. Okay. So what is his purpose? What is the big plan that our good, loving, and all-powerful God is working out? And those who are familiar with the Bible, well, I think you'll know the answer. But I'm going to give us a brief reminder as we continue on this journey. In the beginning, or it begins with creation, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here we have God's original good creation. I know you know this. It's the pre-fall world where there is no sin, suffering, or death. Human beings were invited to live with God and to rule over his creation as benevolent stewards. Benevolent simply meaning kind and caring. The biblical story then ends with the consummation, okay? which Ephesians tells us is according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. It's a glorious picture that we all know of seeing in revelations a new heaven and a new earth, right? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there is no longer any sea. Have you thought about that for a moment? You know, I think if you're anything like me, have you not wondered how all the people that have been saved are going to fit? No? Okay. <laughs> Well, if there's no sea and the sea covers what? A large percentage of the world? I reckon he's already got it covered. Just too bad if you like ocean views. But then he continues and he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and will be, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now we imagine that, can we? Right? The hope that we have is the new and glorious creation with God. You know, especially in moments when we can feel distant from him in this life. That is a hope that we have, the tangible existence with him. It's a new world that Jonathan Edward describes as divine love shall be brought to its most glorious perfection in every individual member of the ransomed church above. Then in every heart, 
that love which now seems but a spark shall be kindled to a bright and glowing flame. And every ransomed soul shall be, as it were, in a blaze of divine and holy love and shall remain and grow in this glorious perfection and blessedness throughout all eternity. This is God's ultimate purpose, to create or recreate this fallen world and to bring about a new heaven and new earth. And he is redeeming a people for himself with whom he will dwell and share his glory with. Now, of course, these, between these beautiful pictures of God's original good creation and God's new and glorious creation lies a world that we is in. Okay? It's bad English because it's broken. We can talk about its fallenness. We can talk about its failures through sin to suffering and death. We can talk about an enemy present who steals and destroys. The list could go on and on when our hearts are moaning. But family, we are not of this sharp-edged world now that we are in Christ. Remember that. Perhaps when things are starting to get tough and you want to start moaning. Because we have the hope to come and we're not of this place. I know I'm only talking to myself here. Because we know, and we should know, and we should hold on to the fact that despite the current world that we find ourselves in, God's purposes towards the world to come continue to move forward to fulfillment. Initially through Abraham and the people of Israel, then ultimately and supremely through Jesus, God's own son, as he gave himself up as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, which affords us life we now live with God, but under Jesus' covering of grace, of his righteousness, so that we can be in his presence. God's purposes for the world to come are ongoing, and he has that all in hand. God's purposes for the present world, well, that's now up to us, up to you. Now, I'm not going to go into a debate over or about predeterminism. It's, it's one of those gray areas uh, that can cause a lot of discussion. Let's put it that way. But you know what? They ultimately should have no bearing whatsoever on us being called brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? It's good to have healthy discussion upon the things of God, but it's not a key matter. I do personally believe when God says in Isaiah, he knows all things from beginning to end. And, of course, that he has the power to bring to completion all of his plan. But in our small moment in time, in this present world, we living in this moment with free will are presented with choices that influence the way things go 
that are experienced in the here and now. Even though God has already factored the choice. I hope that's not too much of a mind bend. And we have a choice today. In fact, in every moment. As to whether we will follow his will or our own. As to whether we will be part of completing his purpose or not. And his purpose in the present world. Well, it has much to do with this thought from Augustine, noted many, many years ago, where he says, none can become fit for the future life who hath not practiced himself for it now. It's an interesting thought. This practice we are to commit to in this present life. Paul gives a brief but comprehensive description of the process as we return to the anchor scripture for today. We're going to read through Ephesians 2 all the way from 1 to 10. And he starts by saying, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So Paul sets here the scene as to why we need a savior. This is how we are in the world and how we were in the world. But he goes on to say, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so the first thing we note here, twice, is that people are brought into God's kingdom not by good works, but by God's grace alone. His completely unwarranted, undeserved mercy and love towards them is the reason. Even more shocking, if you think about this, is God intends in the world to come that we shall be examples of his amazing grace, like living trophies of his love in the coming age. That's what we're going to reflect somehow. I reckon he's got a lot of work still to do in me. But can you imagine that? As Paul describes God's people as his workmanship or works of art, created in Jesus for good works. So now, the good works that 
we in Christ are to do. What is that about if it doesn't save us? We know Paul clearly tells us that it should be something that overflows in thankful response to all God has done. But what's its purpose? It must be important because God planned it in advance. But why and how are we to walk in them? What does that even mean? Now bear with me. Those of you who are familiar with scripture, well, perhaps you're already ahead. But there are family here, and there is family here, who this may be news to. What are these good works? The purpose to which we are called? Well, the primary fruit of the works is the change of heart, the character that comes from being born again, meaning from the time that you accepted Jesus as leader of your life. And it's developed in the process of becoming holy in daily life through grateful spirit-empowered obedience. Paul wrote about this in his earlier chapter, saying, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in Jesus. Being holy has two aspects. The position of being set apart as God's child, that's a gift a gift as Jesus covers us with his righteousness to be adopted as his children. The process of change is sanctification, something that Andrew spoke in depth about last year. And it's a good series to listen to, so do go and do that. But that makes that position a progressively experienced reality in our lives. The goal of this process is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And it happens as you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And seek to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I love the prayer because, as you mentioned, you pray for transformation for our community this year. Linz. God's grand purpose in this present world is your transformation. To make you fit and ready for the wonderful life in the world to come. Even though we were tarnished by sin when we entered the family, God puts us into a lifelong process of transformation designed to conform us into the likeness of Jesus, to make us fit to live in his presence forever, to become that trophy of amazing grace. In Christ and by the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, God is at work preparing a people to populate a new world with him. His purpose for us is transformation now, to live with him then. 
This means that God's purpose for each of us is to be transformed in character such that we fully reflect Jesus and increasingly live a life of love and good works. And if we profess that we are his people who are part of his kingdom story, then his purpose is our purpose. Many of us can get sidetracked thinking about a specific purpose, focusing on some unique doing that you feel you were called to do. And while, yes, aspects of that are true, we are all gifted differently within the community for different aspects of ministry. But God's overarching purpose for you is already clear. It's seeking God in everything you do that leads to your sanctification, leads to your transformation into the image of Christ. Now, I know many of you have heard this before. You know, people coming up to you and saying, you need to be transformed into Christ. But I want us to take a moment. Just hold here for a while. Think about what this means. Our purpose is commitment to his purpose of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. What does that mean the goal of his purpose for you is? It's you. You are the pearl of great worth in the purpose that he has for you. You're the goal of his purpose in your life. Know that we each have a purpose that he has prepared in advance for you. And it's unique because it's about you. Your transformation that can only be done by your partnership with God. No one else can do that. Can you see your worth in this simple understanding of his purpose for your life? God in his infinite wisdom, power and love prepared in advance what he purposed as the most important things we are to build in this life for his kingdom come. Each and every one of you. This is an understanding of loving ourselves well in renew. Through God's eyes, you are what he values most. Yet, it is not self-centered. It is far, if we're honest, from an easy purpose. It is far from easy to commit to letting God transform you. It is far from easy to seeking his will instead of your own. But I know, though, when we commit to his purpose for your life, literally, as others see your reflection of Jesus grow, 
What's going to happen? Will they not want to come to know him too? Will they not be the ones that benefit eternally because of it? The good works is transformation in you, which reveals itself as the one we are called to walk in. Jesus. That's what it said at the end of our text in Ephesians. That's what I believe he means. The good works is that transformation that we walk in. And through that then, Jesus shines and overflows from you into the Great Commission as he reaches others through the transformed Christ-like version of you. Keep your eyes fixed on your purpose, being your transformation. God will then use that to do the rest that he has prepared in advance for you to do. It's part of seeing how true the words that Andrew mentioned last week are around Jesus saying his burden is light. That we can trust that he will, not we will, he will complete the good works that he has begun in each of us. Our purpose is to pursue his transformation through every commitment that we make this year. Isn't that an interesting thought? Here's a few more. Are we choosing jobs for the money? Or because it makes me happy? Or because I'm hoping for that next promotion? Or are we taking them because it will force me to rely on God to a greater degree that changes me and shows Him strong in my weakness? Are we making plans for rest and recreation? Both good and needed things, but at the same time, praying for his purpose to meet with Jesus and ask him to increase more of him in us in every step on the golf course, through every activity in the garden, at every beach that we visit. Will you look for his purpose as you decide whether or not to make time for that difficult relative? But asking, God, if this is opportunity for you to transform me with an increasing level of your forgiveness. When you're taking care of the kids at school, especially the demanding ones, are you instead going to look at them as opportunities for his patience to grow in you? What about the challenging boss or pastor? No, Andrew's not challenging. I'll just make that clear right now. <laughs> but is it opportunity for us to grow in his self-control? To say, well, Lord, more of you and less of me. Plans to follow his will for 2024. That leads to his purpose of your transformation for eternal good. How you seek to do this, I'm going to leave up to you. This ain't no three-step self-help message, because it won't help. I do hope, though, 
with a healthy understanding of you being the pearl to the purpose he has for your life, that it will fuel you to seek God for his plans on how you will further be transformed throughout this year. The seeking will require your wholehearted surrender and an active faith that says, Lord, I trust you and I will follow even to the places that you don't want to go. But every life here is a plan of a purposeful God. Our God-given purpose may be the same, but each mission is very different, as different as we are unique, because the fruit will be your individual Christ-like transformation. Yet remember the benefits are not only ours. They will overflow to the eternal good of others. And that's living in God's economy. So, that's my question. Whose will will you seek for 2024? And I pray this gives clarity to answer it. Amen? Amen.